All right, everyone, this is Josh, and I'm doing linguistics. Uh, so the point of this podcast is to basically talk about esoteric subcategories in linguistics and then try to make it accessible to the layman of linguistics. So I don't know if I'll accomplish that successfully, but at the, at the worst, I'll just have something that I can look back on And listen to because I love the sound of my own voice. Uh, So the first topic we're going to talk about is inalienable possession in language. So I I stuck with something I think would be easy to get and perfectly esoteric. So you know if you don't want to listen to this at all, you probably won't want to listen to anything else I produce. So we're getting that out of the way. So inalienable possession refers to when a noun must be possessed by someone. So And that means it cannot be taken away. As in, they may not be removed from the possessor. So if someone cuts your head off, that's still your head, even if it's severed. That's an inalienable noun. Uh, It can also be referring to kinship terms such as mother, my mom. So there are a lot of languages that make grammatical distinctions for these concepts. English is not one of them. It's estimated that like 15 or 20% of languages have this case. Uh, An example that I'm going to be using, there's another example, but the example I have written down here is Abum or West Papun. And uh, I don't know if I said that right. I couldn't find the pronunciation online, but that's how I read it. So in Abun, they have a way to distinguish between, so the two examples I'm giving are my garden and my arm. So in my garden, it's, Yi bi nigwe, which is eye of garden, my garden. And the second example, my arm, is yi shem, I arm, which is my arm. So in the first sentence, there is a marker B, which marks possession. Of, and that, can, that may be taken away. However, arm is conceptually closer and requires no marker. And that's an iconic explanation of what's occurring here and that's from hymen so the first one is an alienable possession you can lose that garden but you can never lose that arm even if you lose it so an iconic explanation basically refers to how conceptually close something is so your arm is conceptually close to you in a way that a garden will never be so The key concepts to note are relation of ownership, like my garden or a part whole, which can be like my arm or like another example to get away from my arm would be like the wheel of a car is a part whole or kinship, which is my father. So Abun Shong shows the noun classes of kinship and part whole with different constructions than something that is alienable. And in our language, we have different ways to mark possession, but it doesn't necessarily indicate alienability or inalienability, although some will probably have more frequency if it's inalienable with one construction over the other. Uh, Some examples would be like roof of the car versus Pedro's car, but that doesn't have a grammatical distinction of alienability in English. So it is a claim about alienable possession and inalienable possession when it is a grammatical class 
that if a language has alien ability as a noun class, that it is more overtly coded than inalienability. And what that means is inalienability will be less bulky linguistically speaking. And what that means is there's going to be less in the sentence. So if you go back to the earlier example that I had, yi shem versus yi bi nigwe, uh, the alienable possession my garden was longer and linguistically bulkier than the uh, inalienable possession my arm. And so the iconic explanation, the, the, the iconic motivation, if, so this is one potential explanation. This isn't like set in stone. The linguistic distance between expressions corresponds to the conceptual distance between them. That is the iconic motivation definition. So Hyman claims that two concepts that are perceived as inseparable, such as your arm, will always have a closer conceptual link in the language. Distance referring to the length of the utterance. Uh, but that is to say that alienable constructions are always further apart and always that are always coded in the language as conceptually farther. The linguistic distance is greater. Now there's another explanation called the economy explanation. And that explanation refers to the frequency of the usage. The most used words in any language tend to be the shortest ones because we tend to shorten things that we use a lot of. You know, like in English it's is, a, the. Uh, and we even shorten a sometimes to uh, like an airplane. So, inalienable nouns may often be used more, and over time we code less for it. So, it's going to become less of a grammatical distinction when talking about inalienable possessions, such as the, uh, in the Abun language, yi, yi shem, uh, because frequency leads to predictability, which leads to less coding. So, in the British NAP national corpus body, body part nouns had an average of 46 46% of being marked with possession, while kinship had an average of 49%. Not a hugely different uh, amount of possessive marking, but a little bit, because body parts are probably conceptually closer to yourself than kinship. That's what the, econ the economy explanation would account for. Some languages have nouns that can't be possessed, such as yusatek. Uh, the word person, woman, virgin, and a word that means air or wind, sky, and the world are non-possessible words in that language. So in a paper by Lemon, in a paper that talks about English-possessed words, we found that some words are possessed at lesser frequency, such as world, woman, sky, which respectively show up at 2.6%, woman at 0.6%, and sky at 0.4%. So some, some words in our language are very rarely possessed. Uh, rare occurrence often leads to bulkier coding, which means we'll tend to have longer utterances when we have to make a distinction. Uh, so noun things, like some nouns in Usatec are always inalienable, but have a grammatical way to basically distance yourself from those nouns, which refers, which is a concept called de-rationalize. So in ta ta, which means my father, can become le ta ta tzileo, which now becomes the father. Tzile is the part of the word that de-rationalizes these concepts. So if you add that coding, you're saying that's, you're, that's not my father. 
So, like, whatever the context of that is, I don't know. But that's how you can do it. And there are some common properties, cross-linguistically speaking, that we haven't, that we found to be very, very common in these languages that code for alienability and inalienability. So alienable possession requires more morphosyntactic coding. I've talked about this earlier. Inalienable inversely has a conceptual bond, a tighter conceptual bond that is. So like my arm, my brother, uh, the car's wheel, uh, you know, stuff like that. Possessive markers on inalienable nouns are etymologically older. So a, a little, what this means basically if there are possessive markers on an inalienable noun in a language, it means that it was a fixture because it was originally marked and we just kept using it because of inertia. So some stuff that exists in language are historical fixtures that defy typical grammar conventions just because of how old they are. So it didn't change with the rest of the noun classes just because of the usage of it, keeping it probably in the same spot. Uh, inalienable nouns uh, are a closed class, which means you can't add new words to it, and they almost always refer to kinship and or body parts. And inalienable nouns are a closed class. Uh, I mean, alienable nouns are an open class, which means you can add pretty much a seemingly infinite amount. So... That's the first episode. The first episode is just talking about alienability and inability. So I feel like it could be better, but it's my first one. And if no one listens and this is trash, that's okay. Uh, I hope you like the sound of my voice as much as I do. Thank you.